Now I'm going to read the first section that we have in the bulletin from Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose, ways is bl- whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, <coughs> who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will praise you with, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. And then 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. For I do not forget your commandments. Let us pray. Great Shepherd, you have given us a feast which we take in in the preaching of your word today, Lord. Open our hearts and minds to your word. Strengthen us through your word. Let us take your commandments into the week, Lord, so that we can reflect your character. And be with Andrew. Give him wisdom and discernment as he gives us your word today. In your name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. It's good to open God's Word with you this morning. We are uh, spending some time looking at the, uh, the topic of the Word of God. Uh, this is uh, such an important thing for us to grapple with. It, it's an important part of our discipleship, following the Lord. How do we think about the Word of God? Last week, Addison sort of started us out with the series and, and observed a couple of things that are really important. One, you know, grappling with the Word of God, sort of uh, embracing it, applying it, is something that all of us struggle with. Some of you may be newer uh, to the Christian faith or, or just even exploring it. Maybe your disposition is such like, I, you've got to prove it to me. I, I have doubts. Uh, and certainly that's uh, something that has uh, sort of plagued our uh, relationship with the Word of God as, as humans. Like, there seems to be inconsistencies in the word or how can we trust this thing that was written over 2,000 years of time and and there's so many different uh, authors of it. How how can we really trust the word? Hasn't it been formed by church councils and people and all of these different things? And some of you may be struggling with, with those types of doubts. Others of you that have a long history of Christianity, maybe you've walked with the Lord for a long time, maybe you, you feel bored with the word, like I, I've read these stories over and over again, I just, I'm not getting anything, or uh, you, you read the Bible through a certain amount of time, as Addison mentioned last week, and you get to Exodus and Leviticus, and things start getting weird, talking about mold and all of these different things, and you're like, how does this apply to my life, and, and, and so we kind of put down the word of God, um, there's all sorts of reasons why we, we struggle with 
the word of God. We struggle to apply it. But, you know, the scripture's own testimony is that the word is really, really important to the life of discipleship. And that's uh, what we want to uh, sort of fan into flame with regards to all of us because we recognize that when we come to the word, and this is one of the things that Addison helped us see last week, when we come to the word, we're not just coming to a dusty old book. Uh, we're not just coming to, to something that uh, is filled with stories and parables and, and all of this. We're, we're actually coming to the living word of God that reveals the heart of God. In, in the law of God, we meet God of the law. Uh, as he reveals his word to us, we, we come into his personality and into his personhood in a very real and a very close way. Uh, and this is his primary way of revealing uh, himself to us. Psalm 19 gives us a couple of uh, orientations of revelation. We we read uh, God or we read the existence of God in creation. But it's in the word of God that we, we see that played out for us uh, specifically. Just saying about that in, in that hymn, you know, uh, I see thy glory or creation shines, but in thy sacred word I read in fairer, brighter lines my, my bleeding, dying Lord. This is uh, so important to our lives. And, and I want to contend that it gives us sort of the, the way that we, we value what is important. I, I don't know, you know, as you come in this morning, I see lots of different people, lots of different ages, backgrounds, all of this. And I assume that you all think different things are important. Uh, you know, we, we read the headlines of the news, the news tells us, well, this is important, that's important. You know, we read about climate change, we, we read about, you know, this policy that pertains to sanctity of life issues. We read about, uh, we read about the pandemic and all of that is, is happening. Some of you more immediately, you know, the most important thing is whether my bills are gonna get paid whether that guy is going to like me or notice me or, you know, all of these different things. We, we all come in with, with these things that are important and they're clouding our thoughts and they're pushing in on our life. But one of the things that we read, and this is where we really want to start when, as we begin our journey into sort of understanding and appropriating, learning to love God's word, is that the word gives us this uh, sense of what is most important. Uh, and it helps us to order our priorities in life, which then you know, helps us to make sense of life. So for instance, if you go to Psalm 19, you see that as the heavens declare the glory of God, and we see that through verse six, verse seven, the psalmist comes to the law of the Lord is perfect or blameless, reviving the soul. The first thing that, uh, that, that the psalmist proclaims with regards to the word of God is that it, it is the thing that points us in the direction of soul life. And, and this is a theme that's repeated a number of times in, in Psalm 119. I, I should have listed this for you and I failed to, so I hope you will forgive me. 
but 11 times in Psalm 119, we are given that phrase, revives the soul. Now, the ESV translates that as gives me life. If you want to take note of these things, get ready with your pen. I'll give you the verses, uh, verses 25, 37, 40, 50, 88, 93, 107, 149, 154, 156, 159. All of those verses, the psalmist is saying, uh, your word is the thing that revives my soul or it shows me the path to soul revival. Let me just give you a couple of different examples. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life revive my soul this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life it revives my soul soul and your steadfast love revive my soul O lord according to your justice revive my soul over and over again we are told that this is the starting point for beginning to approach the word of god is that it gives us a, a right relationship between God and ourselves. As our people, our souls are, are, are so connected to who we are as people. A and if we really want to move forward in discipleship, we have to start here. And so I, I want to work through that this morning uh, in terms of what is it that needs to be revived, uh, the, this call to righteousness that we see in God's word, uh, what is the way forward? And that's something actually that we could never do on our own. It's a path that we couldn't shape. And then finally, what is the result of that? What's sort of the fruit that is produced by this new or renewed relationship? So that's where we're going. As you see, I laid out the outline for you with uh, a number of verses uh, that are sort of emblematic of, of these different themes because Psalm 119 doesn't organize it, you know, just it's an acrostic. It takes the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. We have these 22 sort of stanzas that, that go throughout the psalm, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, the, the, different, the different letters. But Aleph doesn't cover one theme and Bet doesn't cover another and, and Gimel another. They're just uh, scattered throughout. So we've got to do a little work and they've tried to put them together for you a little bit. What is, what is the fundamental problem that humanity has? So again, the news can tell you all sorts of things. You can be coming in with, with certain felt needs with regards to the fundamental problem of humanity. But as it's laid out in the scriptures, the fundamental problem for humanity is that we do not meet the standard of God's holiness the standard of righteousness that is laid out for us uh, as we meet God in the pages of his word. So what do I mean? Well, look at uh, the number of ways in which we are, are called, we are pushed into either the, the righteousness of God that gives us life or the righteousness of God that is our path of life. Behold, I long for your precepts. Uh, in your righteousness, give me life. My eyes long for your salvation, for they are the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your words, your rules. Uh, so what are we talking about? 
Holiness, uh, you've heard that word, it's, uh, we sing holy, holy, holy. Holiness is the, 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 the purity, the set-apartness that God has in and of himself. Like his eyes are too pure to look upon evil. There is, uh, you know, John says in the epistle, in, you know, God is light, in him is no darkness. Uh, so if we think about holiness, we, we think about this transcendence, we think about this, this moral purity uh, that exists with God. He is unassailable. We cannot lay a charge against him. Righteousness is the way he lives out of his holiness. Uh, so he is holy. He can be declared to be righteous because, you know, that is a perfect match. We, we are not holy uh, in and of ourselves. We, we cannot be. We all have moral impurities. I mean, this morning, you know, anger, bitterness, all of these different things that, that mark us. We, we are not holy. Uh, and, and we are also not righteous. We don't, we, our actions don't match up to the standard of God's holiness in and of themselves. And, and so this is, this is our problem. And this is humanity's greatest problem. You know, if we think about, like, what are we going to do to fix this world that we live in? Uh, you know, can we, can we pass a law? that is going to fix this world's problem? Can we initiate this humanitarian effort that is going to fix this world's problem? Uh, the fundamental problem is that as humans, we are, are broken in terms of that relationship with God, that we are not righteous, uh, that we are not holy, and we just can't measure up to God's standard. One of the reasons why I printed Psalm uh, or verse 176 for you is you hear, you see the psalmist acknowledge that. He says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Uh, and we see things throughout the, the psalm where, where the psalmist is recognizing that, God, you are righteous, you are holy, but I am not. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. And I think most of you in, in your honest moments would say, yes, I can pray verse 176. Uh, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. However you fill that out, you know, maybe it is the anger, or the bitterness that you are holding toward that guy at work or to somebody in your family. Maybe it is sexual impurity that you're allowing to, to reign in your heart or your mind. Maybe, uh, I, I mean, there's so, so many things, you know, it's a covetousness, it's a greed over things that you don't have in your life and you see other people having. But, but we've gone astray like lost sheep. And it's important for us, to, like if you've never acknowledged that, I, like this is the starting point. You know, I love Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, Julie Andrews, let's start at the very beginning. <laughs> it's a very good place to start. Well, this is the beginning. Like if you want to, if you want to understand who God is and how we relate to him, this is where we have to start. He is holy, we are not. We have all fallen short, you know, as the apostle says, all have fallen short and, and deserve 
the condemnation that God provides. It's important for us to recognize this not only in terms of our own journey, but also as we think about how do we address the problems of the world. Again, I, I've, I've mentioned that there are so many things that vie for our attention, you know, human trafficking, you know, this enormous debt that uh, we have as a country. I mean, we, there are so many things that apply uh, themselves saying this, this is the most important thing that we have to solve right now. But part of what we understand from this is that as believers, we have to keep peeling back the onion and we have to go to the absolute core and we have to say no. The most important thing that we have to solve is humanity's relationship with God. This is the most pressing issue uh, for us to address as a church, as a community of believers. Uh, it's not saying that these other things are unimportant, and as we'll see in just a minute, you know, it's not saying that some of these other issues don't flow out of that. But if you really want to start, you know, if, if, you're, if your car won't start uh, and you go get the tires changed, your car still doesn't start. <laughs> uh, you, you've now got good tires on your car, but you're not going anywhere. A and that's the issue here that, that the psalmist is saying. The most important thing is that we have life, that our soul is revived. This is the crucial, crucial point. So how does that happen? Now, it w I want to move on to this path that we can't shape on our own. And, and I, really, I, I really need you to stick with me here. And I really, I mean, of, of all of the things, like if you, if, if you don't understand this, you will never read Psalm 119 correctly. Uh, and really, you'll never read the Psalter correctly, really never read the Scriptures correctly. So, you know, really, Lord, help us as we navigate through this. <laughs> I need to uh, try to explain this as very best as I can. Uh, a path that we cannot shape. Notice uh, what uh, the, the psalmist says. Behold, I long for your precepts. There's these longing verses. I, I long for these. I, I know that in this there is the path of life. In your righteousness, give me life. You know, the, the psalmist here recognizes that he needs help outside of himself. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Uh, again, the, the psalmist puts himself in a position of receiving. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, the your salvation according to your promise. It's not what we do that can affect this. It, it's, it's what comes to us. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to to your promise, to your servant. What, what is being communicated here? Well, what is being communicated here by the psalmist is that this righteousness, this standard, uh, this uh, our, our way forward, life, the, the soul revival that we long for, happens to us by means of what God does on our behalf. One of the ways that uh, Israel processed this, and, and it's a concept that really helps us understand the scriptures, is the concept of covenant. Uh, 
many of you have probably heard that word before. Uh, it's kind of an old word, but we have covenants all the time. When you make an agreement, business deal, uh, you're making a covenant with two parties. And if you break that, you know, whether it's real estate or whatever it might be, there are consequences and penalties for breaking it. When we get married, uh, there is a covenant that is being made between these two people saying, we're, we're going to we're going to walk together and we're going to care for one another. Well, covenants were a way that uh, all the all sorts of different relationships were managed uh, in Old Testament times. And so when God came to Abraham, he made a covenant with him. This is in like Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. He made a covenant with him and he said, I am the great Lord. Uh, I am entering into this agreement with you. Uh, you have to keep the stipulations of the covenant, and that's the word of God. Uh, the word of God are all the stipulations of the covenant, and if you keep the stipulations of this covenant, keep the obligations, you will be blessed. If you do not, you will receive the curses, and the curses of the covenant, death, it will accumulate to you, to your children, to your children's children. I mean, it, all, all of this. But what is so fascinating about Genesis chapter 15, and if you have your Bibles, you can, you can turn there. When God came to make the covenant with Abram, uh, he went through all of the covenant ceremonies. And what they would do, you can imagine this, kids. Uh, what they would do is they would take uh, animals. They would take like uh, goats and calves, and they would cut them in half. They would separate them. And then the two people that were making the covenant would walk between uh, these separated pieces of animal, and they would say, may it be to me, like it is to these animals, uh, if I fail to keep the obligations of this covenant. Uh, so you're basically saying, you can kill me and cut me in half if, if, I, if I fail to keep the obligations of the covenant. So Abram in, in chapter 15 goes through all of this. He gets a, uh, a heifer, three years old, a cow, a female goat, goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He brings these, he lays them out, cuts them according to custom, and then God puts him into a deep sleep. And when Abram was, is in a sleep, is in his sleep, he is given a vision where he is brought to that place and in the vision, a smoking pot and a firebrand, which were symbols of God. Think about the, the pillar of cloud and the fire. Uh, God himself comes to Abram in this vision, and he walks through the, the pieces by himself. He doesn't require that Abram walk through the pieces. And he then says, I make my covenant with you uh, on the basis of my own pledge to keep the covenant. And if I do not keep the covenant or if the stipulations of this covenant are not kept, may the punishment fall on me. And this is exactly what happens on the cross. Jesus, as the, the second person of the Trinity, the, you know, the man who is God, uh, allows all of the curses of the covenant to fall on him. A and he keeps the stipulation of the covenant uh, so that 
uh, we, as the other participants in this covenant, are not required to keep them or, or our failure to keep them is dismissed because Jesus has bore, uh, has bore the wrath against uh, that, that we rightly deserve. And the reason why I spend so much time with this is that it's so important in understanding Psalm 119. Turn back to it. Look at Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, we, we see these words at the beginning and the end. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. That's the last verse of Psalm 118. And then it goes into verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. Here's what God said to Abraham when he made the covenant with him. He says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. When God is talking about his law, he's talking about it in terms of his having kept the covenant perfectly on our behalf. That term steadfast love translates the Hebrew word hesed. Uh, it is the covenant term. A and God is coming to us and saying, remember that covenant that we made? Remember all of those stipulations? Remember the holiness? Remember the righteousness? Well, you failed. But I, through my son, who is your covenant head, he has kept them all blamelessly. He has kept them blamelessly, and he has fulfilled both the blessings and the curses when he went to the cross. So as we read this, we read it through the lens of one who has kept the covenant. And, and the reality is, is that if we have uh, submitted our lives to Jesus Christ, we are so bound up with him. We're, uh, you know, we're in union with him in such a way that we can say we have kept the, the standards of the covenant. So I, I know that's like, you know, some complicated theological stuff, but uh, just think about it this way. Our basic problem is that we had a debt that we couldn't repay. Uh, God has not only uh, accrued the debt, but he has paid it as well. A and he invites us to stand now in the clearness of his having paid the debt. Uh, and he says, I, I give you that credit you know, that credit, that righteousness, now you are debt-free because of what I have done. That, that's the path that we could not shape. And this is what the psalmist celebrates over and over and over again. And you see that some of the fruit that it produces then, and this is really important that we get this order right, you know, the fruit that it produces is peace. Look at Look at these verses here. I've just given you a couple. Throughout Psalm 119, we have this conflict. On the one side, you know, as I've already pointed out, the psalmist will say, I, I long to keep your precepts. On the, or, or he'll say things like, I've gone astray like a sheep. On the other side, he'll say things like this. Take away from me scorn and contempt, 
for I have kept your testimonies. What? What? You know, I, you just said that you long to keep his precepts. I've gone astray. How can you say, I have kept your testimonies? Or how can you say, uh, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word? How can you walk around with that kind of confidence, that kind of peace? Well, the reason is, is that he is praying this covenantally. He's praying it on behalf of Christ. A and this is what is so important, and, and this is what I'm very, I I'm very concerned about or sensitive to in, in preaching this. Like, I don't want you to come to the Word feeling like this is a duty that I have to do. You know, like this is something I have to spend more time in the Word. I have to, you know, meet my quota of devotions or, you know, all of these types of things because we do not earn our righteousness by doing certain things, even when it comes to the Word. But what we have to understand is that we come to the Word through the finished work of Jesus. Jesus has, has met the standards of the law. Jesus has satisfied that gap that exists between us and God. And when we come to it, we keep our eyes on him. So how can we pray? How can we pray, I have kept your word? We pray that through our union with Christ. When, when we realize that Christ, all that he has done is applied to us, we can say with integrity, I have kept your word because Christ is united to us. A and this is, the, this is the key to reading, and it's really the key to loving the word of God. Because if you cannot read it through the finished work of Christ, it's just going to be a burden. A and this is what we see in New Testament, Matthew 23, verse 4. Jesus says, the Pharisees pile up burdens on the people. And this is the way Martin Luther felt. Like before he really understood the gospel a as a monk, he, he felt like the word of God was this crushing weight that was bearing down on him. But when he understood that the word of God revives our soul because it points to the finished work of Christ, he truly experienced the freedom and the peace that comes through the word of God. So this is my great, this is my great desire uh, for all of us is that we would start at the beginning, realize that the most important thing is being right with God, but realizing that Christ has done that on our behalf. And when we surrender to him, now we, we approach the word of God so much differently. You know, we don't approach this as a set of rules that are going to get us to heaven. We approach it as, uh, as a set of, uh, we approach it as the heart of God that show us the way to true delight, that show us the way that we live out this relationship with him. Some of you are familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the Reformation catechisms, uh, and, you know, it's organization, uh, sin, salvation, service or guilt, grace, gratitude. Th this is what we're talking about. We have this problem. God is the one who comes to us and fixes the problem. As we receive it, it leads to a life of gratitude 
of grateful service. And that's the second thing there is, is the praxis. Uh, you know, we, we do live out the word of God, but it's not in order to earn God's favor. We live out the word of God because we know that it's the heart of God. And we know that God's heart is that we are, are right. A and we realize that, that God as our creator has, has set all of these uh, things into motion. And, and, and as we follow his word, that is where we find delight. We see it in these verses 2, 3, 4, 5. Blessed are you who keep his testimonies, uh, who keep his testimonies, who walk in his ways kept diligently the precepts of God, keeping your statutes. Like, this is important. A and the rest of our series, we're going to be looking at specific ways in, in which we keep the law of God. We keep the law of God with regards to wisdom and understanding. You know, this shapes us, you know, how we deal in business and how we deal with uh, parenting and all of these things. We, we do this by keeping the law of God. Uh, we keep the law of God with regards to sexuality and purity and all of these things. We keep the law of God with re law of God with regards to justice and uh, how it lays out. And, and all of these things are mentioned in Psalm 119, but this flows out of souls that are revived. Uh, there's a passion that comes with that. You, you see that in, in verse 2, you know, I, 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 with your whole heart, or with my whole heart, I, I love your word. Or, or verse 139, zeal for your word consumes me, for my foes forget your words. You know, when, when, we, when we begin to understand what God has done in reviving our souls, uh, we, we approach his word with, with a love and with an acceptance, with a zeal, with a passion. Uh, and, and it hurts us. It, it hurts us, it grieves us when we see people who are walking away from God's word. Uh, we, we see it, it grieves us when, when we see that in, in ourselves. There's a passion that is ignited. Uh, and then, of course, there is praise. We see that in verse 7. I will praise you with an upright part when I learn your rules. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules seven times a day. I praise you for your righteous rules. This is all of the fruit that, that comes from really understanding who we are uh, with relation to God and understanding the grace uh, that God has given us in the person of Jesus Christ to give us a rightness. We have peace. We will practice his law. There's a passion and it will elicit praise from our lips because of what God has done. In many ways, uh, you know, this is still sort of a, an introductory look. <laughs> you know, in God's law, we meet God's heart. In God's law, we see the thing that is of fundamental importance. It's not to say that all of these other things that press in on us are not important. They are. But they are only important in that they flow out of God's word. And, and, and so the, the call is to, to love the word of God and even more importantly, love what it reveals to us about who God is and about how he loves us. I was talking with Jane Jelgerheis this morning who's been on the organ for us. Uh, many of you know that Jane works for the American Bible Society and um, uh, as such, they, they work with uh, issues of translation. 
and and she was sharing just you know the power of God's word. Recently, they had a weekend uh, where they had brought together a number of of leaders through throughout the the world, and and they were laying before them the vision uh, of taking God's word to the world. You know, translation, mission work, all of these things. And in one weekend, they raised $82 million in order to further the work of taking God's uh, word to the world. Why? Because it is the most important thing. I mean, we we talk about church planning. I love church planning. It's important. Uh, But if we don't have God's word, we're not going to plant a church. (laughs) You know, we we talk about human trafficking. I, I hate human trafficking. You know, zeal for God's word helps me to see that that is horrible. It is reprehensible. But it's God's word that helps us to see that. So if we want to heal human trafficking, we uh, introduce people to God's word and to the God of the word. You know, all of these things, it comes back to this central point. It's in the word of God that we meet the God of the word. It's in the word of God that we see his heart. It's in the word of God that we see the path to soul revival. And may that give us peace. May that give us joy. I I, I love the way that Eugene Peterson, uh, you know, that quote at the very beginning encourages us, assimilate the word, eat this book, as as John experienced and some of the Old Testament prophets, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, eat this book. It will be sweeter than honey in your mouth because it will show you, it will show you the way to God's heart. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this uh, word and we do thank you for what it tells us, what it displays uh, to us. Lord, we thank you for uh, the reality that you have made a way, a path that we never could have shaped in and of ourselves. Uh, but, Lord, you have made a way through your son uh, where all of the, the curses of the covenant have fallen on you so that we could stand in the blessings. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we continue to seek to appropriate this both as individuals and a community. Lord, we pray that you would keep our eyes focused on what is important. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's.